Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensa, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. He is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. He is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensa is the General Overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this session. Our prayer is that we, you will speak to us in words that we can understand and touch our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Am I in the right occupation? Am I in the right career? Am I doing the right job? Certainly, this discussion demands the definition of these terms. The most important is vocation. A vocation is from a Latin voco, I call. So, your vocation is your calling what you feel God has called you to come and do. The second most important term in that set is career. A career is the line which you have taken with a long-term ladder. You climb. We call that a career. A job is something you are doing temporarily. It's a job. It's, it's something you are doing temporarily or on part-time basis, which may or may not be related to your career or your vocation. And work is just anything you do. You do for a living. A job can also fall into that category. You, you do because you want to earn a living. So, am I in the right profession? Yes, we need to define profession. A profession is more of a specialized area of work which demands a lot of training and more often than not has a, an academy which controls its ethics and output. We call that profession. If you ask me, I would say that it is best to work your profession 
your career towards a vocation, a lifetime calling. For example, if you feel called to work with children, then teaching in a primary school or working at, say, a nursery or a children's institution will necessarily be in line with your vocation. Uh, I'm struggling to explain this. If you feel called to work among youth, then you'll find out that teaching in a senior high school or in a university or working among youth groups one way or the other will still be in line with your vocation. So from that angle, I want to branch into the Christian and his profession, his career, his vocation. When you ask, am I in the right profession? Am I in the right career? Am I in the right vocation? What you really want to ask is, am I doing what God has sent me on this effort? So, the bottom line is that God sends everybody to this effort with a specific, unique, customized life calling. He wants you to come and fulfill something for him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. He told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you came out of your mother's womb, I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. John chapter 1 verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to bear witness to the light. The true light which lights every man was coming into the world. He was not the light but he came to bear witness to the light. So, different passages in the Bible point to the fact that we are on this earth with a specific mission. And you should choose your career, your profession and vocation in line with the call which God has for you. Now, how do you know whether you are in the wrong profession or you are in the right profession? 
I can give you a few tips, but it means you have to sit down, do the analysis yourself, and then move on from there. So here we go. Number one, God's specific revelation. God speaks to every one of us. John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. And Romans 8, 14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit, they are the children of God. God communicates to us through dreams and visions. Uh, Numbers chapter 12 from verse 6 to 8. He says he speaks to his prophets through visions and dreams. And Job chapter 33 from verse 13 to 15. He says that when we sleep, God visits us in dreams and visions to talk to us. So, if you search for God, Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says, Call unto me and I will hear and answer and show you great and mighty things which you know not of. So, the first most important ever relating to your calling, your career, your profession, your vocation is you must opt for hearing God for yourself. If you do, then all the other prophets, men of God who speak into your life, they confirm and affirm what God has told you. So that's number one. Number two is your mentors and models. God so makes it that as you grow, people come your way whom you need. He puts you in training under individuals whom you need for the future. So, those who mentor you and the models you had when you were young are pointers in your life towards what God wants you to be. So, he trains Moses in the house of Pharaoh. And then in the house of Jethro. Because those two working environments will determine his future. 40 years in Pharaoh's house, 40 years in the house of Jethro as a shepherd. The two add up to 80. And God calls him. And for the next 40 years, he is leading Israel out of Egypt and in the wilderness for 40 years and making a nation out of them. 
Look at Joseph. So, mentors and models. Then number three, your areas of excellence. When God calls you and sends you, He equips you. He gives you gifts, talents, abilities, which are areas of excellence. You easily excel. You find yourself doing much better than others very quickly in those areas. First Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 says, Who makes you to be different from others? Why do you boast as if you did not receive that gift? John the Baptist says in John 3, 27, No man can receive anything except it's given to him from above. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow or turning. So, we, are, we receive from God areas of excellence where, because of your gifting, you find yourself easily excelling in certain things. Number four, your areas of fruitfulness. Areas of fruitfulness refer to areas where it's not so much that you put in very great effort, but you find yourself reaping rewards from certain areas. You find yourself fruitful in certain areas. You, 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 you may invest a lot of time or a lot of strength, but the returns, the results are pointers. Number five, your friends and family. Your friends and family are able to put their finger on the areas where you have unique strengths and weaknesses. They can do it in such a way that you find out you have five sisters and all your sisters say, oh, this our sister is a good cook. Why? We all cook, but she is better than us. So, their evaluation tends to be indication of your area of strength. And sometimes, when they get angry and criticize you, they tell you your areas of weakness. And they speak very frankly, even though it hurts. Then, number six, your areas of failure and disinterest. The areas of failure and disinterest are important because they, as it were, show you where you are not good at. I normally make fun of myself that when I got to secondary school form 3, I did very well in the sciences. So, my teachers and friends began to push me that I should become a doctor. 
Then we went for the first laboratory session ever. And we were to prick our fingers, and a second person was to receive the blood on a slide. So, my teammates pricked his fingers, and the blood spat out in such a way that I nearly fainted. Fresh blood, I couldn't handle it. That day I decided medicine was not for me. Till today, I pray against meeting with accidents on the way when I drive. Fresh blood and those things, I find so difficult to see and, and walk away. So, areas of disinterest, areas of failure, when you were in school, you were failing consistently in some areas, they are indicators. If ever, God wants to use you in your areas of failure and disinterest, He wants to get all the glory. Because it's not, you can testify that this is, this is not me. Number seven, your personality. Your personality. We have people who are introverts. They see, get their strength from being alone, from being indoors, from being meditative, from, from seclusion. But we have other people who are extroverts. They get their strength when they are among people. They are, you know, greeting people with their head and their hands and their feet and, you know, being the show person. And you need to know yourself. Then we have your skills and schools. The schools you have attended and the skills you have acquired affect which kinds of jobs you will enjoy. Some jobs involve working out in the open, being in the fields, in the forest, but some jobs require sitting at a table and doing detailed work. Some professions need years of training. And each one of those are very challenging. So your schools and your skills are pointers to the direction which you can ever take a vocation or career in. Then comes your gifts, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, natural graces. When we say natural, we mean you don't need to be a born-again Christian to have those. Music, attitude for mathematics, languages, a flair for languages arts, etc. They are natural. You were born with them and you see that you just know that you know that you have it. Beauty. Then, spiritual gifts. 
and ministries. Unlike the natural abilities, spiritual gifts are only given to you when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior and you are filled with the Spirit of God. So you are talking about words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits, faith, working of miracles, gifts of healing, prophecy, different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, dreams, visions, or apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, all those things, charismatic gifts, ministry gifts, operational gifts, are from God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are given to you after you have accepted Jesus as Lord and personal Savior, and as part of the equipment of what God wants you to do for him. Then we come to uh, the area of passion. Passion and compassion. Passion is what you, you, you do without getting tired, without feeling bored, and you could do it 24-7 for 100 years. Now, that means that you, you have a, a, a drive, an interest, a passion. Compassion has to do with the types of things which turn you on from the inside. When you see child abuse, what do you feel? When you see people in drugs, alcoholics, what do you sense? When you pass by a prostitute's brother, do you feel anything? When the government is taking a decision which is not correct, do you feel anything? So, passion is a drive, it's an interest. And a compassion is more of pity, but it turns you on from the inside. And you start, you want to take action in that direction. This is very important because it involves your heart. Most professions and careers and vocation in particular takes years of training, of pushing, of working, of experience. And if you don't have a passion in that direction, you will be tired, you will be bored, and you will be filled with uh, Mondelitis. When Monday is coming, then you see that you have pressure because you are going back to that work again, eight o'clock and closing at four, and you can't handle it. And finally, finally, what are your personal dreams? What areas do you uh, dream of yourself? being, doing, achieving before you die. Can you write down 10, 15, 20 things you want to accomplish before you die? It is also an index of how your, your heart drops. So, with this, you should be able to 
sit down and analyze whether the job you are in, the profession you are in, the career you are in, you, you, are, you are stuck. You are not moving forward. You are not improving. You go to work and for two, three years, you are still at the same place. Do you find it difficult when you wake up and you are going to work? It's like, oh, no. Do you find your job exciting, adventurous, or is it just a big waste of time? Now, I want to talk about how to glorify God with your profession, your career, your vocation. There are four things you should consider. Number one, Christ-likeness. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says, Those whom God foreknew, He predestined that they should be conformed to the image of His Son, so that Jesus will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And 1 John 3, 2 says, When we see Jesus, we shall be like Him. You must settle for a job, a vocation, a career, a profession that enables you to be the best and most Christ-like person you can ever be. If you want to glorify God in your career and profession, select a career, a profession, which will enable you to be as Christ-like personally as possible. That's number one. The reason is what I have given you. Paul says in Galatians 4.19, My little children whom I travel till Christ be formed in you. First Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Colossians 1.28, he says, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, till we present every man perfect in Christ. So, you, your career, your profession, don't work in a place where you feel clogged. You can't be like Christ in this workplace. Then you are in the wrong workplace as a Christian. That's number one. Number two is your engagement with world evangelism. Your career must give you opportunity to be involved in the Great Commission. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Then the command in Matthew 28.19 is, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the close of the age. If you want a vocation, a career, a profession that enables you to glorify God, it must be a workplace where you can, you know, let your passion and engagement with the Great Commission, expanding the kingdom of God on earth, can be at its best. Search for a workplace where you can be the best witness for Jesus. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, You shall receive power.
power after the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That is Jesus' express desire. That is the Holy Spirit's express desire. That is God the Father's express desire. If you want to glorify God in your career and profession, choose a profession which will make you the best witness for Jesus as far as expanding God's kingdom is concerned. Number three, in order to glorify God in your profession, your career, choose a career that will enable you to employ the gifts, the talents, and the abilities which God has given you to the highest. We all have a combination of of talents, of abilities, of spiritual gifts, and natural talents. We have various, we call them gift mixes. These gift mixes are such that they make us peculiar. You are different and I am different because I have a set of skills, talents, gifts, charismatic, ministerial gifts, and so on. Always aim at the maximum use of the giftings God has given you. Why do I say that? Because the gifts God gives you are an index to what he wants you to do for him. If God wants you to sweep the floor, he gives you a broom. If God wants you to weed for him, he gives you a catalyst. If God wants you to cut trees, he gives you an axe. The gifts and talents and abilities that God gives every one of us are an index of what he wants us to do. Romans chapter 11 verse 29 says, The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And the gifts have been given to you because God expects you to do some specific work for him. In fact, we say that Jesus was purpose-driven because he said in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, he told his parents at age 12, why were you searching for me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? And in John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. In John 9, 4, Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night comes when no man can work. And in John 17, 4, Jesus said, Father, I have glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. We see the same passion in Paul. In Acts chapter 9, from verse 6, 
when he fell to the ground on the Damascus road, he asked the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord told him, rise up, go into the city. It will be shown you what you must do. And when Ananias was hesitating to go and meet Saul, Jesus told him that he is a chosen vessel to me to bring my name before Gentiles, kings, and the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. In Acts 13 verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord, fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Separate for me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have appointed them. And in Acts chapter 20, from verse 22 to 24, Paul says that every city I go to, the Holy Spirit witnesses to me that bonds, affliction, suffering is waiting for me. But none of these things move me. I don't count my life as dear to myself, save that I should finish the task which the Lord Jesus Christ has given me. It means some things are more important than life. And fulfilling God's call upon your life is more important than even living long. Jesus lived for only 33 and a half years, but look at what he has accomplished. And uh, Colossians 4.17, Paul says, tell Archippus to fulfill his ministry. And when Paul was going to die in his last letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And to me now is laid up the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. So, life has meaning. Life has purpose. Life has drive. Life has destiny. Life has a sense of accomplishment before God. And as a result of that, you should choose your career such that you can finish this work which you have been given and accomplish it. And then the fourth and final area is the negatives. Any vocation, any workplace which will compromise your integrity as a Christian, you need to think seriously about it. And if, if it continues, you need to change your workplace, your career, your profession. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. He says, let him who stole steal no more, but work with honest hands so that he can have to give to the poor. It means the thief must change his profession. If you want to glorify God, First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. If there is anything you are doing as a profession, then you notice that, no, there certain areas of my profession, certain areas of my career, I can't stand before Jesus and look at him, look into his face, then you are in the wrong career, you are in the wrong place. 
Sometimes it might not involve changing your profession as much as changing your job, you know, or your career line. Okay, I want to stop there for now and take the questions. Probably there are areas I have not touched because I don't know where you are itching. God bless you in Jesus' name. Okay, uh, I have a particular question related to a number of occupations, including including mine. Um, If you are a soldier, if there's a war, you have to kill. Now, if you are in the legal field, there are times whereby you may have to represent uh, a criminal. And uh, but should there be a conflict? Yes, you are allowed to say, "Look, I cannot represent you," because every person has got to tell you everything what they have done, and your job is to find a way out for your client. Or if you cannot exactly find a way out for a client, is to have um, descendants reduced as much as possible if somebody is guilty. Uh, that's why, like, for murder or capable homicide, it's stuff from about five years in South Africa, that is, up to about 15 years, uh, made obvious is higher, uh, and so forth. Then that range, what you get exactly is determined by the circumstances. So sometimes we punch holes into the opposition's story. We look for technicalities and the like. Now, when you look at those kind of things in certain professions like mine, it's a bit tricky uh, to say, hey, I'm representing this person. Now I'm concentrating in uh, having him to get a lighter sentence by looking for ways or technicalities to protect that individual. What is your comment about such kind of professions like mine and many others? where some things that you have to do may appear to be or may be in conflict with your beliefs or faith. Thank you. Okay. Uh, This is a general question because it cuts across all the professions and careers. A medical doctor is in the profession to save lives. But we can have a medical doctor who is interested in uh, helping pregnant ladies to abort unwanted babies. Now, he is using the profession to do something which is sinful, is against God. He is not forced to be involved in those abortions, even though it brings a lot of money, he's not forced. So, if he wants his integrity and Christian practice and testimony to persist, he wants to glorify God, he refuses to be involved in any illegal abortion. He he talks to people who want an abortion to stop and he saves babies. In the same way, you are a lawyer. 
Some cases come to you and you tell them, no, 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 no. After listening to you, my conscience, my Christian conscience will not allow me to defend you in this case. You are clearly wrong. What you have done is criminal. And this and that and that. If there is any help I can give you is the number of years of imprisonment and so on. And then you know that when you do it and your conscience, you pray about it and your conscience does not condemn you, that's okay. But we can have lawyers who are interested in just helping criminals because of what they can get out of them. And that makes you lose your Christian integrity. It's the same with accountants. In the office, there are certain dealings which bring in money, but you know that they soil your hands. There are certain envelopes which are passed onto your desk, and they influence your conscience and decisions. And you know it too. You shouldn't take those envelopes as a Christian. So each profession and its temptations and areas you can demonstrate your Christian integrity. You know, you are a student. Cheating in exams and exam practices are open. But you can decide that you won't do it. And you prefer to fail honorably. You see? Or study hard in order not to fail. But whatever marks are given to you, amen. And so on. So, each of the professions has got traps and areas which the unbelievers do with a free conscience. But the Christian, because you are born again, you want to glorify God, you can't go there. It's a no-no for you. Okay. Somebody is asking what if your senior doctor or senior lawyer says you should take the case or you should be involved in an abortion. What do you do? Again, this is a conscience issue. So, once again, you will see that if your senior asks you to do it, and it conflicts with your conscience, Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 says, Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's rich food. So he went and saw the supervisor and talked with him and said, oh, give us just water and vegetables. And the man said, hey, for me, I'm very careful about those things. I, I will lose my head. And he said, try us for 10 days. If you see us worse off, then you can advise yourself. And when the man did, after 10 days, he saw that they were looking fresher and better than all the other by talking with your your boss you you can deal with the matter by advising yourself saying no the way my boss is I've talked with him on two three occasions he doesn't see my 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 side of the matter. He commit, He still asks me to be involved in these abortion cases. I don't like it. I don't want to be here. And on judgment day, it will go against me. I want to advise myself. 
Then you start searching for another place to work in. A place, in fact, this is the main reason why we are answering the question, which kind of job should I do to glorify God? You see? So, you may be locked up somewhere, but after this message, you should be deciding that, no, 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 where I am now, I don't think when Jesus comes, I will see him with this profession. There is nothing wrong with the profession itself, but where I am, my particular institution, or my particular hospital, my particular law firm has problems, and and my boss he does not respect my Christian conscience and Christian views are not uh, uh, welcome and I want to look for another uh, outlet where I can still be employed as a doctor but there I'm free to I mean not to be involved in these abortions and I tell the boss even before I take the job that my conscience will not allow me to do that. In the military, for example, you don't have to kill. You, you can be involved in an area of the military which does not involve killing. And that all these things are discussions which should be your the Holy Spirit Himself will help you to choose areas that you can still be in the army, but not be called upon to do that. And sometimes the military is for a defense in certain areas which you can navigate through. So Cornelius was a centurion, but he was a very good Christian. He feared God, he was fasting and praying, and so on. So, see, even the guy in uh, Luke chapter 7, the, the centurion who told Jesus that he does not need to come to his house. You know, so there are, we have the, in the Bible people who were in the military but we're still God-fearing. Well, this is my response. Hello. So, um, my question is based on Daddy's response to the first question. So, you were in a department, you were, you were working in a department, you started work before you got born again. And this is what you used to do. You give an uh, envelope to auditors who come to audit you. And this is not any roadside organization. This is a very good organization. And looking at the terrain, when you cough, you'll be laid off. And getting a job now is very difficult. So in this situation, you have purpose in your heart not to do it. But your boss says, yes, we can't let our name to be soiled. So you have to prepare your budget to meet this envelope. So under such situation, what are you going to do? Well, once again, I think praying 
and leadership of the Holy Spirit is the solution. God has said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that no temptation has come upon us, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. He will never let us be tempted beyond our strength. But with the temptation, he will provide a door of escape so that we can bear it. So, there is a difference between a gift and a bride. A gift is given gratitude, thanksgiving, but without any uh, strings attached. But it becomes a bride if it is given in order to blind the person or shut his mouth or twist his judgment in a way that you are you are pushing the person to call right wrong and good evil. Then it becomes a bribe. Then it corrupts. So, if the auditor finishes the auditing and after that there is a way of giving him a package without affecting his judgment wrongly. You see, this this is this is where your prayer and the Holy Spirit come in. Christians express gratitude. They give gifts. They give envelopes. But it must be given in such a way that it does not encourage evil. And it does not prevent people from doing what is right. This, this is, this is the, the bottom line. So I will advise you to pray. I will advise you to, to, to rely on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And I will advise you to use wisdom. James 1.5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives freely? And he will give you wisdom how to navigate through it. Some of the auditors demand money before they even audit. You see, because they are used to that type of life. But some do their work conscientiously. And when they finish, you give them something, not because you want them to twist the figures, but because you are genuinely grateful that they have done their work. And if your conscience allows you, and the Holy Spirit is witness, then for me it's okay. But if you are giving them the envelope in order to push them, your conscience should accuse you. Amen. Please. 
other times we can ask for an exception or for exceptions from God, like how Naaman asked permission from Elisha so the king can lean on his arm before the idol. <laughs> uh, that's a good question, isn't it? I, I, I respect <clears throat> Naaman for that permission. In Christianity, we see all over the Bible, Romans chapter 2, verse 11, uh, Ephesians chapter, chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, I think it's verse 23, 24, it says that God is no respecter of persons. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35 there is no respect of persons with God. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows, that shall he reap. So, so I personally fear asking for exceptions from God. Because you might get deceived. God is going to judge all human beings all over the world and he's going to judge us in righteousness. So if you want an exception that well, for me, I've gone to God specially that he should allow me to divorce or I want a special permission from God to fornicate. And I want God to understand my situation, why I should steal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 can, it can be deceptive. That's all I can say. God is God. But I will be careful. Because okay. of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So we have one more question here. How does yes. a young person put in charge of older people handle them. I remember Paul telling Timothy not to let anyone despise him being a youth, but we live in times where a lot of people tend to look down on younger ones and younger ones put ahead of them. Yes. Why do we look down on younger people put ahead of us? Because they carry their youthfulness into the position. You see, this is the problem. So Paul was telling Timothy that don't let anyone despise your youth. Be an example to the believers. You see, even if somebody is older than you, but you are sober, you dress in a way that he does not despise you, you your hair cut, and the way you carry yourself around is, is sober, you see that the older person over whom you are senior respects you. But if your youthfulness makes you carry your hairstyle and the way you dress and the way you go about your things, people can see and smell youthfulness all over you, when you are put over somebody who is more senior, you see that 
the person despises you because of your youthful passions, your youthful laughs, and your youthful way of doing things. So if you are put in charge of seniors, please respect them and respect yourself enough to take dress well, you know, and be sober. Yes, that's the word. Be sober. I think that's the word Titus chapter 2. Paul tells the young people, the older men, the older women, they should be sober. Be sober so that people can respect your your faith and your seniority. Um, and last one, we've been talking about people who are employed by others, but I want to look into the direction of people who are self-employed or entrepreneurs. Sometimes you realize that the income taxes and the revenues that they put on different products from the government is quite high. And there are some situations where someone owns a shop and is not making much profit and the income that the government is charging will be sometimes even the profit and the capital of the person's shop. Or someone buys a good from abroad and coming to sell in Ghana and the uh, port charges are going to chop in, eat into the profits and even sometimes eat into the um, capital. So in such situations, as a Christian, what do you do? Change your job. You know, a lot of the things which go on at the ports, immigration, the export and import and sales. My father was a storekeeper. And so most of my growing life, I was in the shop where coming to buy goods and sell. And what we have, what I came to discover is that, yes, it's very difficult to be honest in trading, buying and selling. But your Christian conscience can still overrule. You see, there are certain things you should never sell. Alcohol, cigarettes, and so on. You should never sell, no matter how profitable they are. That's one. Two, when you see that there is too much kululu at the ports concerning the, you know, the charges of what you are selling and you have to avoid tax, run away from the government and the invoicing, over-invoicing, and hiding your accounts and those things, your Christian conscience cannot help you. Therefore, it is better to start praying and be involved with, fortunately, a self-business. So you choose what to sell and what to deal with and deal in. So you just change, change what you are dealing in. And you see that certain areas of marketing have more integrity than other areas. You see, when you are dealing in, uh, I'm just giving you an example, in exercise books, you are dealing in, uh, what have you, some things you will see that 
you, you can make clean money without having to tell lies and, uh, you know, all those things. So, you are not forced to sell or do a business which goes against your conscience. And it is important, Paul says in Acts 23 verse 1, I have lived in all good conscience before God till this day. Acts 24 16, he says, this is one thing I do. I strive to have a conscience void of offense before God and before men. And First Timothy 1 19, he says, some people have ignored conscience and made shipwreck of their faith. So because of that, you need to watch your Christian conscience when you are doing business. If it is self-business, that means you have the choice, you have the option. So pray about it and, and go into areas which will not force you to do things you don't want to do. It's the same with the NGOs and the, you know, other institutions, all of them. I remember one time after a talk on integrity, uh, uh, one teacher came and met me and said, well, I'm serving at a private school and they tell us to inflate the marks of the students uh, so that their parents will be happy. And then uh, they say, they, they, you know, we are helped to help the students in their exams and for exam practice. And my question was, have you taken it up with the, the, the director of the school? You go talk to the person for the sake of your Christian conscience, and if he wouldn't listen to you, start praying about whether you should leave that place or there should be a change. My wife was teaching in a, a, a school, and I remember she caught the some of the students in exam practice went and reported to the headmistress. And the headmistress said, oh, you allowed them. That year, the exam of the whole school was cancelled. You see? So, I mean, this is where we are to shine as light and salt of the earth. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we have a question here. I, I have a question about the professions. And sometimes uh, the legal consideration is in conflict with the religious ones. I will take two examples to illustrate that. So the first, the first one is that in Cameroon, for example, uh, abortion is illegal. Okay. But now, what if I have to work in a country where abortion is legal? Because each country has on uh, national regulation in terms of in terms of uh, abortion. And sometimes in some country when you want to work there, you have to sign a contract with uh, with the national government of that country, saying that you have to that you should adhere to the national regulation in that uh, country. Now, what if I have to work in this kind of country and? A patient, a lady, for example, comes to me and she says that she wants to abort. But now my religious consideration will not allow me to do it. And the problem is that if I refuse to do it, the lady can prosecute me for not achieving my uh, legal duty. And she will be right in that country. 
So in this case, for example, as a Christian, how, how should we handle this? And the second example is that uh, community service. So the community service, you have to go in a remote area, in a remote village for at least uh, six months. Because you will see ladies there uh, that were maybe 19 years old with already three or four uh, teenage pregnancies, exactly, babies. So it's obvious that in this case, the long-term solution is to make them change their, their behavior, behavior or their habits in terms of uh, sexual intercourse, like to make them be abstinent until ma uh, marriage. But now it is a public health issue, so you, have to also, you also have to find a short-term solution. And in this case, most of the time, the most efficient uh, one is to make them use condoms. But the problem now is that if, as a medical doctor, if you tell them that they should use condom, are you not uh, encouraging them to have uh, sexual uh, intercourse? So that, that's my second concern. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, these are very uh, strong questions. We, we have our governments now legislating everything. And when they do, they put those of us who have different religious convictions into a, con a tight corner. You see? For example, if the government legislates uh, uh, gay marriage and every pastor is, as it were, called upon to marry a gay couple, what does he do? If he doesn't do it, he will be prosecuted. Now, let's come to your particular question. Where the government has made a legislation for, say, abortion, and you are working with uh, one of the government's institutions, and therefore you are under their particular law, you need to pray. I mean, there are areas which, you know, your conscience might get off. But when you have to kill a human being as a Christian, there is blood on your hands. Way from Genesis chapter 4, God told Cain that the blood you have shed is crying and it has reached me in heaven. When you are a doctor, you help kill a baby. The blood of that child, because he, I've quoted Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you came from your mother's womb, I sanctified you. Luke 1.15 says, of John the Baptist, the child will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. So it is not the child is not just a zygote, uh, you know, who is not a complete human being. There's nothing like that. God created man in his image and after his likeness. Therefore, in a very vigorous way, there must be something distinct about the Christian doctor. Now, when you talk about long-term solution, that's talking to them in the community so that they are not involved in this teenage pregnancy. That's great. But at the same time, even though 
the giving them the condoms will encourage promiscuous lifestyle. Still, it is the better of the two evils. It's better than the abortion. And then from that place, we can move them on to better taking care of their bodies as the temples of the Holy Spirit. I believe that God expects you to do as much as you can to demonstrate your Christian conscience. Something which you, you cannot, you can't help. Then you might have to put down your foot and face the consequences. Uh, difficult, yes. But that is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did in Daniel chapter 3. That is what Daniel himself did in Daniel chapter 6. They said nobody should pray to any god except the king. And he opened his window and prayed three times a day. And as a result, he, he was thrown into the lion's den. And God defended him. So, the Second Timothy 3.12 says, Anyone who will live righteous in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter says, We ought to obey God rather than men. So, by all means, there will be situations where you will need to put down your, your, your feet. We, we just have to build our consciences in a way that when the time comes, it will not be foolishness, but the wisdom of God. That, that, that is my response. Father, we thank you for our working week. Five days a week, and for eight hours on the average, we are at work. We are in our career, profession, vocation, job, whatever it is. So we want to please you by the works of our hands. And Lord, this topic has sought to ask us whether we are employed, we are engaged in doing what glorifies you. I pray that this discussion will kickstart something in the hearts of your children so that we will seek careers, professions which give us opportunity to be most Christ-like and to be most engaged in expanding God's kingdom and fulfilling your call, specific call upon our lives. May the weak be blessed. And even as each of us go back to take another look at what we are doing daily, in Jesus' name. Amen. Follow JFK Men's Ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast. You can also access some of JFK Men's books and keep up with his ministry at www.jfkmensministries.org God bless you.